Marcus Paul, almost a public figure. When you Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the mornings, right across Australia. On the iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio apps. The biggest issues. The biggest guess. Marcus Paul in the morning starts now. Well, good morning and welcome to a brand new working week. Marcus Paul in the morning on this Monday. It is the 11th day of April and what a massive five weeks we have in front of us. Prime Minister Scott Morrison finally calling the federal election. Not too far away. Well, good morning, everyone. Earlier today, I visited His Excellency the Governor-General and advised him uh, to call an election for the House of Representatives and half of the Senate on May 21, and he accepted my advice. I love this country, and I love Australians, and I know Australians have been through a very tough time. I also know that Australia continues to face very tough challenges in the years ahead. But more than ever, I know that we live in the best country in the world, and more than ever, I am optimistic about our future and what I know Australians can achieve. Because despite the very real difficulties that we face and the setbacks we indeed have had, Australia and Australians have shown that we can overcome. By working together, we've avoided the nightmare scenarios that so many other countries have faced in recent years. Unemployment was predicted to reach 15%, but now is at just 4% and falling, the equal lowest level in some 48 years. Our economic recovery measures, especially JobKeeper, saved some 700,000 jobs. And our health response working together has saved, compared to other countries, tens of thousands of lives. On almost any measure, on fatality rates from COVID, vaccine rates, economic growth, jobs growth, or debt levels, Australia's recovery is leading the world. All right, there he is, Scott Morrison yesterday, calling the federal election. It will be next month on the 21st, as expected. Now, it will be fought through hand-to-hand combat with the Coalition and Labor fighting for single seats across the country and a host of previously safe seats coming into play due to the retirement of well-known local members of parliament. Now, the Coalition must stem its losses in Western Australia cling on to at-risk electorates in Queensland and try to pick up a couple of marginals in New South Wales. That's in order to win a fourth term in office when Australians go to the polls on May the 21st. Labor, well, they need to pick up marginal seats in Victoria and Tasmania. They need to capitalise on their popularity in Western Australia and defend their coal mining seats in regional New South Wales if they are to win majority government for the first time since 2007. Well, what do you make of it? To maintain its one-seat majority, the Liberals would have to at least regain the South Sydney seat of Hughes, which they lost when sitting MP Craig Kelly defected to Clive Palmer's United Australia Party. This would help offset the loss of the abolished Liberal seat of Stirling in WA and the creation of the new seat of Hawke in Victoria, which is on a notional margin of 10% to Labor. The Coalition would then have to hold all of its seats or pick up something in New South Wales to offset potential losses in Tasmania and Victoria. Taking into account Sterling and Hawke, Labor needs to win another seven seats to claim majority victory. Now, the most obvious of these likely gains are in WA, where two and possibly three seats are up for grabs, while the Liberals are vulnerable in New South Wales marginal seats, including Reid, the Victorian ultra-marginal Chisholm and the Tasmanian seats of Bass. 
Both major parties are bleeding votes to minor parties, of course, but the Liberals are copying it from several directions, losing Conservative voters to the anti-vax, anti-lockdown appeal of the United Australia Party, as well as progressive inner-city votes to the well-organised and funded voices of independents. With the retirement of a number of well-known and established MPs, seats which were previously safe are now potentially in play. These include Lingiari in the Northern Territory, where Labor's Warren Snowden is retiring, Casey in Victoria, vacated by Liberal Tony Smith, and even Flinders, where Liberal Greg Hunts, of course, is also retiring. In South Australia, the resignation of Liberal Nicole Flint has made Boothby vulnerable. Now, in Tasmania, Labor had lost Bass and Braddon last time due to policy errors, announcing money for the Mona Museum and an AFL team in Hobart. This was seen as Southern-centric and used against them. Labor was unlikely to make the same mistake again, but will have to ensure it holds Lions with the seat's 5.2 margin inflated last time by the Liberal candidate being disendorsed. In Queensland, prominent Liberal Peter Dutton's marginal seat of Dixon remains a Labor target. Also in Queensland, the Liberal seat of Longman is at risk due to its low margin. Labor will also target Flynn in central Queensland, where long-serving Nationals MP Ken O'Dowd is retiring and Leichhardt to the north. Now, in New South Wales, both parties have significant ground to defend and opportunities to pick up. Labor will have to work hard to retain the, uh, the ultra-marginal seat of Macquarie in Sydney's west, Eden Monero and Gilmore, of course Eden Monero, in southern New South Wales, known as a bellwether seat, as well as three electorates in the Hunter. And one of those belonged to Joel Fitzgibbon. The Liberals plan to heavily target these seats, but will also have to defend strongly in Reid and Robertson, where Labor is running effective local campaigns, as well as in Wentworth and North Sydney, where voices of candidates are mounting high-profile challenges. The Nationals, well, they're hopeful they can end Labor's century-long reign in the seat of Hunter off the back of the retirement of Joel Fitzgibbon, who had been the local member for more than 25 years. The Coalition is in much worse position than it had been at the start of the campaign back in 2019. Analysts say in New South Wales, while there was a drop in the Liberal vote in Lindsay, Banks and Macquarie, most went to Palmer and would come back on preferences. The Coalition needs to pick up seats in the Hunter region, the electorate of Hunter, Patterson, Shortland, Greenway, and that's of course where they will go hunting. In just a couple of moments, we'll hear from Anthony Albanese. He's promised a better vision for Australia, while of course Scott Morrison vows to serve full term as election battles are drawn. So ScoMo in the press conference yesterday said of course he will run full term if he's re-elected. He also took to social media on Saturday night in a quite polished piece, telling us all and telling the country why he loves Australia so much. You always have setbacks. You always have imperfect information. I mean, things are tough. And they've been really tough. There's drought, there's floods, there's fire, there's pandemic. There is now war. We're dealing with a world that has, has never been more unstable since the time of the Second World War. We're dealing with an economy which has more moving parts and more risks, but indeed many, many opportunities that we have to seize. 40,000 people are alive in Australia today because of the way we manage the pandemic. 700,000 people still have jobs and, and countless numbers of businesses that would have been destroyed. This is why as we go into this next election, What's firing me up? We're actually in a really strong position. I was at a trade school the other day in Brisbane, year 11 and 12. I asked them, I said, how many of you are going to start your own business? More than half of their hands went. How good's that? That's why I love Australia. Everyone's so busy trying to pay for their lives 
You either have it or you don't Enough cash to survive And Andy got a debt from a robot the other day He was already broke There was no way that he could pay And he had no way of feeding His children and his wife He felt like a failure And he ended his life Years later it's admitted It was all just a mistake The legal mafia Admitted that the debts were fake Horses pulling carts for rich white men Horses pulling carts for rich white men Horses pulling carts for rich white men Oh man Psychopaths run the world A problem in itself They created the systems So they have all of the wealth Impoverished front gardens With junk food and used toys And they drink themselves to death To drown out oppression's voice And the bank cashiers are busy In this rigged system that we're in And they're all so damn important Holding the keys to let us in Into the safe design to keep us locked out And to keep us trapped In this system they designed To have it all and give nothing back Horses pulling carts for rich white men Horses pulling carts for rich white men Horses pulling carts for rich white men Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back on this Monday morning. Well, we've heard from the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, now Anthony Albanese, who's promising a Labor government would end the climate wars once and for all with a better vision for Australia. Anthony Albanese has declared in his first pitch to voters in the official election campaign. This election will determine whether we can come together to build a better future. We can seize that opportunity, but you have to vote for it. And that is what this election is about, building a better future. We are a great country, but we can be even better if we have a better government. We've had a difficult couple of years. Australians have been magnificent in making sacrifices to overcome the challenges of the pandemic, of floods, of bushfires. It has shown the strength of our society, but it's also shown our vulnerabilities of our economy and where we need to make improvement. So as we emerge from this, Australians deserve better. This government doesn't have an agenda for today, let alone a vision for tomorrow. They demonstrated that in their budget, which was nothing more than a ploy for an election campaign with one-off payments that stop when the votes are counted, which they think will be enough to give them a second decade. Yep. All right, there's Anthony Albanese. Uh, The Labor leader spoke from Sydney yesterday after Scott Morrison confirmed that we would go to the polls on May the 21st. Albo, uh, you heard him there, he said Australians deserve better than what the coalition has offered. He argues that Mr Morrison's government doesn't have an agenda for today, let alone a vision for tomorrow. He agrees with ScoMo that we are a great country, but we can be even better if we have a better government. 
We've had a difficult couple of years. Australians have been magnificent in making sacrifices to overcome the challenges of the pandemic, floods and the bushfires. Albo said Australia could be a renewable energy superpower that uses cheap, clean energy, declaring he would end the climate wars. He said, today, I say to my fellow Australians, this is our time, our time to seize the opportunities that are before us, our time to create a better future where no one is held back and no one is left behind. And he asked Australians for their support on May the 21st for his team. He said he was ready. We are ready and Australia is ready for a better future. Albo said he would announce more detail about Labor's plan to ensure multinational corporations pay a fairer share of tax during the campaign. He said the policies that Labor had announced to date were fully costed, including the party's net zero, aged care and national reconstruction fund plans. Also, Albo said his team was, quote, experienced, and he had personally shown in his own previous roles, including the minority Labor government between 2010 and 2013, that he was capable of working collaboratively with others. He said, and I quote, if you look at my record, you don't have to theorise whether I can work with people or not. He hit back at claims the election is a choice between a known coalition and an unknown Labor team. Albo says Australians do know who he is. Asked if he believed the public knew who he was and what he stands for, the Labor leader responded, absolutely they do. They know what my record is. They know I have a long service or a long record of public service. Now, Mr Albanese said he'd been leader of the party for three years and on most days he was available to talk to anyone who wants to talk to me. Mr Albanese also confirmed that his partner Jody Hayden would join him on the election campaign trail, but only when and where she wants to. She, of course, did visit him, uh, visit the Royal Easter Show with him on or yesterday morning. There we go. All right, well, that's what Albo's had to say. Uh, of course, there'll be, you know, a long road ahead of us, five, six weeks of this. If the coalition is re-elected, just repeating, Scott Morrison has vowed to serve as leader for the full term rather than hand over the reins to a successor midway through the next government. The PM said he would lead the coalition for the full term when asked at a press conference yesterday to announce the federal election for May 21st. Why? Well, he said because there's a lot to do. And he was pleased that he was standing there again before uh, reporters in Australia today after coming and standing before them three years ago. ScoMo said his government had been laying the strong foundation to ensure that Australia can prosper in the years ahead, but it cannot be taken for granted. The election is a choice between a government that you know and that has been delivering and a Labor opposition that you don't know. Meantime, Scott Morrison declared that there is so much at stake for the nation this federal election. All right, well, what do you make of it all? Uh, Plenty of you are commenting on my Facebook page. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, Monday morning, Marcus Paul in the morning on Starter FM and, of course, the iHeartRadio platform. Tune in and the Prawncast. It's nice to have your company. If you want to send me an email, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. And of course, you can always comment, as many of you do, on my Facebook page. Just going to move away from the federal election uh, announced, of course, yesterday by the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, for the 21st of next month. Uh, Now, with the Easter school holidays upon us, there's apparently more bad news for people flying during the Easter period following days of chaos at Sydney Airport. As travellers faced massive queues for a third day of chaos, Sydney Airport said the unusually busy scenes could last for weeks, possibly stretching through to Anzac Day on the 25th later this month. A Sydney Airport spokesperson said that they were working around the clock to resolve these issues and have teams in the terminals bringing passengers forward in order of priority. They are anticipating it will be busy right through the school holiday period and peak over the Easter and Anzac weekends. In some cases, 90% of pre-COVID passenger levels. I mean, that's good news, but surely they should have been prepared for this. Uh, The contracted company for the airport security, Certus, 
Well, they're trying to recruit more staff to fix the problem. In the meantime, airport back office, IT and retail workers have been reallocated to the departure hall looking for passengers at risk of missing their flight so that they could be prioritised. Meanwhile, Melbourne Airport has also warned it expects the Easter holidays to be the busiest travel period in two years, with 1.4 million travellers expected over the next two and a half weeks. Now, Melbourne's airport's chief of aviation encouraged people to plan ahead and arrive early. Processing times may be longer than usual, they said, and they expect there will be queues for check-in and security. The road network will also likely be busy and passenger drop-off points and car parks will be congested during peak travel times. Uh, So Melbourne Airport are urging travellers to be respectful of one another and also of airport staff. Uh, What else is happening at our airports around the country, of course, as aviation travel picks up? Well, the Gold Coast Airport recorded its busiest days in two years as more than 21,000 passengers travelled through on Friday, April the 1st. Now, the airport up there at Coolangatta expects another record to be broken over Easter, with 28,000 seats scheduled. Queensland Airport's limited CEO, Chris Mills, said Gold Coast Airport passenger and flight numbers were recovering quickly thanks to the popularity of the region. He said it was fantastic to see numbers recovering at this pace after two challenging years for the airport and the tourism sector that we support. After a challenging number of years, confidence in travel is returning and the region is seeing the benefits of the leisure market recovery in particular. I mean, that is good news. And look, if it, all it takes is for you to get a little, get there a little bit earlier, if possible, you know. And I also heard the other day, look, there was, and I spoke about the story of the increase in airline tickets. If you're prepared to leave earlier or leave at a stranger time than normal, you can still get those discount fares. To keep up with the demand over the Easter holidays, Qantas and Jetstar will operate at 110% of its domestic capacity compared to 2019, flying around half a million passengers from April 14 to April 18. It's a lot of people. In preparation, the company stood up all of its staff and will have the majority of its domestic cabin crew pilots and airport staff working over Easter to accommodate the numbers. Jetstar, we're told, will also continue to operate dozens of flights with its larger international Boeing 787 aircraft. Travellers have been encouraged to check in and select their seat online as it opened 24 hours before departure. I always do that. Whenever I'm flying somewhere, I try and, you know, you've got 24 hours before you fly, you can check in there on your computer or even on your phone and pick your seat and everything. Uh, You're also advised to arrive at the airport up to two hours early, so queues at security checkpoints could be managed. And also to remember to remove your laptop and aerosols out of your bags at the security screening. What do they do with all those aerosols they take off people? Someone, somewhere, is smelling great. Look, hundreds of people started queuing up at Sydney Airport before dawn on Saturday, wanting to check in for their morning flights. A bloke by the name of uh, Luke, who's 27, he arrived at the airport at 5.30 in the morning for a a 7am flight to Melbourne and said the crazy scenes looked like a social experiment to see who had the most patience. The resident told NCA Newswire there was no way of knowing where lines started or finished or which line was for security or baggage drop. He said there was no organisation so people didn't know what was going on. For the first 30 minutes we were in the line, we didn't see a single staff member there to try and chaperone or organise people. It wasn't until some 15 minutes later that a couple of staff turned up and tried to do something, but it was like trying to throw a bucket of water on a house fire. It brought out the worst in humankind, he said. People were tired, they were agitated, and everyone was getting frustrated with each other. Now, Mr Marnie said he expected the airport to be more organised after experiencing similar scenes in previous days. Meanwhile, Ange Cook described the scenes on social media, saying the security line was out the door when she arrived at the terminal at 4.30 in the morning for a a. 6am flight. 
No way I'll make my flight. One line, one security check-in line working. That's just poor planning on Sydney Airport's part, is what she wrote on Twitter. Many other travellers also posted photos from where they waited, all showing massive lines and people crammed into the bag in uh, the bag check-in area. <laughs> this is hell at 5am, wrote Darren Saunders. And look, I'm looking at the photographs here. They are... Cr- <laughs> look how many people... Airport staff have definitely been struggling to keep up with many employees apparently still in isolation uh, because of COVID rules. Now, Sydney airports say they faced a perfect storm at the moment from bad weather, school holidays and a high level of staff in isolation, either being infected with the virus or deemed a close contact. Traffic numbers are picking up. Travellers are inexperienced after two years of not travelling and the close contact rules are making it hard to fill shifts and staff the airport, they say. A spokesman told NCA Newswire the airport was predicted to see up to 90% of pre-COVID passenger levels right through the school holiday period and peak over the Easter and Anzac Day weekends. They say they continue to work around the clock to resolve these issues and they have teams in the terminals bringing passengers forward in order of priority. Yeah. Oh, well, how's your experience been? I'd love to hear from you. I, there's been no reports made from airlines of passengers missing flights due to the congestion, so I suppose that's one good thing. But, I mean, how the mayhem has crept into its third day, I'll never know. Surely, surely the airlines and the airports must have been prepared. They knew this was coming. It's Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, Monday morning, Marcus Paul in the morning. If you'd like to send me a note, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au or, of course, you can comment on our Facebook page. Many of you did after I put up a post about this crash tackle by a Gold Coast Titan security guard on a streaker. I'm just watching it as I speak to you here on my computer screen. Um, well, look, I don't know. Uh... What are these security officers supposed to do? I mean, she adverted two or three of them and then some bloke just collected her in a copybook tackle. Look, she got straight back up, so I don't think she was badly hurt. But anyway, we're told the Gold Coast Titans will review footage of this security guard crash-tackling a female intruder during Saturday night's game on the Gold Coast. Footage and still photos from the venue show the woman wearing just jeans and a bra becoming airborne as she was tackled by an overzealous security guard. Well, really? Overzealous? Isn't he simply doing his job? Now, the Titans have agreed that it was an over-the-top reaction. Apparently, their chairman, Dennis Watt, said there needs to be a review of what happened. Look, I would ask why. Why does there need to be a review? Anyway, uh, he said, from where I was sitting, it did seem heavy-handed. It could have been handled better. You heard this collective intake of breath around the ground. It did seem over the top and it put the intruder at real physical risk. But what about what what about the risk this intruder could have placed the football players in? I mean, for all we know, she could have been carrying a knife. Anyway, she was escorted from the ground and she does face a heavy fine under stadium rules. In general, security does a very good job of protecting fans and the players, according to the Gold Coast Titans boss. The people who run the ground do a fantastic job. However, on this occasion, the fan could have been contained more easily than that without the risk of injury. Yeah. Anyway, Titans Chief Executive Steve Mitchell did confirm that the woman was not injured. Uh, So I think that should be the end of the matter. That's my opinion personally. What do you think? Marcus Paul in the morning. Good to have your company on this Monday. Yeah, Monday morning, Marcus Paul in the morning. And again, uh, more pain for Sydney's struggling commuters. Again, industrial action, this time around private bus operators striking. They've been told they must not rely on the state government to fix ongoing industrial disputes with their drivers. A senior transport agency official has warned ahead of tomorrow's strike action. Well, what's happening here? More than 1,000 bus drivers from a patchwork of privatised Sydney and New South Wales bus regions will walk off the job in a 24-hour strike 
in protest over wages and workplace conditions. So that means delays for commuters in the inner west, the hills district, parts of south, north and western Sydney. They're all being warned to avoid public transport today in the latest industrial action to impact the city's network. Transport for New South Wales Chief Operations Officer Howard Collins said while the state government was working to hire some private coach services for the most heavily impacted areas this morning, he says it's up to the private operators to take responsibility for the wage deals that they'd brokered. Our view is it's not for transport to fix. It's actually for them to fix through negotiations, he told the Sydney Morning Herald. They took on these contracts with those rates, and therefore we're saying it's up to them to fix. Collins said the government would help facilitate meetings between bus unions and the private companies, but it was their responsibility to find a solution to the current industrial dispute. So in other words, the government that privatised all of these services is basically handballing the responsibility back to the contractors. That doesn't help the struggling commuters of Sydney. Anyway, as you would expect, the unions can see through this BS. Um, New South Wales Transport Workers Union Secretary Richard Olson said the state government needed to enforce an industry-wide standard across the entire state. As the economic employer, Transport for New South Wales can enforce these industry standards on bus companies, according to Mr Olson. Drivers must have amenities and infrastructure that are operating open and clean at interchanges where a fatigue and toilet break can be taken. A variety of workplace agreements exist for bus drivers across different regions in the state of New South Wales, and Mr Olson said some were required to drive for five hours before being able to use a toilet. Really? Bus drivers are expected to rally on Macquarie Street outside State Parliament today to demand more equitable conditions across the network. Severe weather, COVID-19 staffing issues and, of course, ongoing industrial disputes have put Sydney's transport, uh, public transport system under more pressure than Collins said he had ever experienced. It's the most intensive that I've dealt with in 45 years of working in public transport, he said, before adding he was buoyed by recent negotiations between the rail union and the state government. He said he was optimistic that maybe the sun might come out for a few more days and maybe they'll get a deal with the unions and also they're seeing a little bit uh, down in the last spike of COVID, which is good. Now, the strike today... will also impact parts of Newcastle, the Hunter, Central Coast and Blue Mountains and will likely affect regions across Sydney and the state differently. Now, Mr Collins said it depends on where the officials of the unions are the strongest and also what membership they have. Opposition Transport spokeswoman Jo Halen said the government needed to work to deliver a minimum standard of pay, conditions and safety standards to the city's bus network. Miss Halen said bus drivers couldn't work from home during the pandemic. Instead, they worked to keep our community running at considerable risk to themselves and their families. She said, but thanks to this government's privatisation agenda, many bus drivers across Sydney got paid less than their colleagues who do the same job in the same depot and who drive the same routes. It's just not fair, she said. Well, it's also not fair on Sydney commuters, and I think they're sick to the back teeth of it all. Find a solution and find it quickly. Marcus Paul in the morning. Monday morning, Marcus Paul in the morning. Nice to have your company here on Starter FM and, of course, iHeart, TuneIn, and if you're listening in on the Prawncast. Well, the Prime Minister has launched his federal election campaign on the offence. He touched down in the coastal New South Wales town of Nowra, where he'll target the marginal Labor-held seat of Gilmore. Now, the PM landed at HMAS Albatross near Nowra on the south coast at around four yesterday, after earlier officially calling the election for May the 21st. Now, ScoMo is expected, of course, to hit the hustings hard today Um, and he'll be spruiking Andrew Constance 
I'll back to him in a moment. Gilmore, though, is traditionally considered a coalition seat, but Labor's Fiona Phillips snatched the seat back in 2019 amid a messy campaign that saw Liberal MP Anne Sudmalis quit. She cited backstabbing and bullying by party colleagues. I remember speaking to her about it on the program. Anyway, Miss Phillips, who holds the electorate with a 2.6% margin, is expected to hinge a campaign on regional housing affordability and health issues, while infrastructure and investments to improve the region's deteriorating roads will form a key pillar of Andrew Constance's campaign. Yep, you know that name, the former New South Wales State Government Minister? is the Liberal candidate for the seat. And I hope, to be perfectly honest, he gets turfed out on his ear. The worst, and I repeat, the worst transport minister the state of New South Wales has ever seen. He left transport in New South Wales an absolute mess. Anyway, this area also covers Jarvis and Batemans Bay, uh, of course, Batemans Base. I mean, those areas, of course, Andrew Constance pretty popular in after. Uh, he did do some good work during the bushfires. Absolutely, he didn't. You know, he was there as an advocate for his community. He was wonderful, but that's where it stops for me. Because I'm sorry, he left New South Wales transport in a diabolical mess. Anyway, a Labor government would end the climate wars once and for all with a better vision for Australia, according to Anthony Albanese. He's declared this in his first pitch to voters in the official election campaign. The Labor leader spoke from Sydney yesterday after Prime Minister Scott Morrison confirmed we would go to the polls on May the 21st. Albo said Australians deserve better than what the coalition has offered. He argued Mr Morrison's government doesn't have an agenda for today, let alone a vision for tomorrow, and on it went. Now, Albo said Australia could also be a renewable energy superpower that uses cheap, clean energy, declaring he would end the climate wars. Let's hope so. Albo also said he would announce more detail about Labor's plan to ensure multinational corporations pay a fairer share of tax during the campaign. Now, Albo said, despite Scott Morrison labelling his team as inexperienced, Albo said his team was in fact very experienced. And he had personally shown this in his own previous roles, including the minority Labor government between 2010 and 2013, when he was capable of working collaboratively with others. So in other words, he's defending his own record Hitting back at claims, the election is a choice between a known coalition and an unknown Labor team. Albo says Australians do, in fact, know who he is. Asked if he believed the public knew who he was and what he stands for, Albo responded, absolutely they do. There we go. Of course, Scott Morrison, if re-elected, has vowed to serve as leader for the full term rather than hand over the reins to a successor midway through the next government. The PM said he would lead the coalition for the full term when asked at a press conference yesterday. He said there's a lot to do and he's pleased that he's standing here again to do it. All right. He said there's so much at stake for this nation in this federal election. And on it goes. Uh, also, ScoMo said he understood that people are tired of politics. But this election and this campaign is incredibly important because there is so much at stake for Australia and our future, he said. This election is a choice. A choice between a strong economy and a Labor opposition that would weaken it. ScoMo said the election was a choice between a government you know and a Labor opposition that you didn't. He also said and confessed that the government isn't perfect. He said they've never claimed to be, but they were up front. Oh yeah. And you may see some flaws, but you can also see what we've achieved for Australia in incredibly difficult times. You can see how plan, the PM said, our plan will deliver more and better jobs and the lowest unemployment seen in some 50 years. Yeah, but don't forget unemployment, Scott doesn't include people who are on underemployment hours. Anyway, he goes on saying, uh, talking about tax relief and that it will deliver that for workers and for small business and all the rest of it. Uh, by the way, he also confirmed that Australians will know who the next coalition health minister would be later this week should he re be returned to government. 
Of course, we know that the current health minister, Greg Hunt, is retiring at this election. ScoMo, though, avoided a question about if internal fighting within the New South Wales Liberal Party that severely delayed pre-selections in key seats would hobble the coalition's re-election chances. Um, He basically goes on to say his team is strong and united and all the rest of it. But I think, uh, well, they may find themselves in a bit of trouble there. Now, importantly as well, ScoMo is the first Prime Minister since John Howard to make it through a full term in office without being backstabbed. That is, (laughs) without losing the leadership. He could have called the election for the earlier option of May 14, but with the coalition behind in the polls, the longer campaign time is designed to give him time to catch up to Labor. The 41-day campaign includes several significant days where campaigning is expected to be scaled down or paused entirely, probably, of course, on Good Friday and Anzac Day. In an opinion piece in the newspapers yesterday, Anthony Albanese wrote that he wanted a better future for Australia. He wrote, a better future means being able to find a doctor when you need one. It means older Australians being able to access affordable, safe, aged care. We want a better future where jobs are plentiful and secure and where strong and prosperous businesses reap the rewards of their enterprise and create even more jobs. Now, previously, Albo had urged Scott Morrison to just get on with it and call the election. He also accused him of stalling so ministers could continue making plum appointments to government bodies. Uh, Labor's campaign video introduces Albo, who refers to his upbringing, his economics degree and the time he spent as infrastructure minister in the former Rudd and Gillard governments. Albo promised to get government debt and spending under control and to work with business to increase Australian manufacturing. He said he had a fully costed plan to make childcare and power bills cheaper and also to strengthen Medicare. Well, ScoMo will be hoping that he can repeat his miracle 2019 election victory and become the first person in more than 14 years to have served a full term as Prime Minister. As in 2019, the coalition starts the campaign behind in the opinion polls, but Labor, of course, will be hoping that Albo will fare better with the electorate than former leader Bill Shorten did. Support for Labor dropped slightly in the latest news poll, although it maintained its lead over the coalition 54-46 on a two-party preferred basis. But a drop in the opposition's primary vote from 41 to 38 only slightly ahead of the government's 36, will be a cause of concern for Labor as it heads into the campaign proper. Mr Morrison remains in front in the polls as preferred Prime Minister, as apparently Albo continues to struggle to define himself in the minds of voters. Punters, though, are likely to be sceptical to trust pollsters, considering nearly every survey conducted before the 2019 election, you'll remember, overestimated support for Labor. All MPs in the House of Representatives and half of the Senate face re-election. The magic number either side need to form majority government, of course, is 76. Nationally, the coalition is heading into the election with 76 seats, down one from the 2019 election after the abolishment of the West Australian seat of Stirling. After the creation of a notionally Labor seat of Hawke in Melbourne's West, Labor starts with 69 seats. It will require a uniform 3.3% swing to gain the seven seats it needs to govern in its own right. But statistically, the coalition is better placed than they were back in 2019. Labor has 12 MPs with slim margins who will be fighting for their political lives compared to the coalition's three. But the unknown here is how big a factor the independents challenging traditional Liberal-held seats like Wentworth and Goldstein will be. If the balance of the crossbench increases, we could be heading for a minority government and like back in 2010, it's anyone's game. While both ScoMo and Albo have been in campaign mode since before Christmas, the formal election trigger will mean Australians can expect to see more core flutes in front yards, billboards and pitches to voters. 
If you've moved in the last three years or, or you may be unsure if you are enrolled to vote, you need to check your details with the Australian Electoral Commission as voting is compulsory, of course. And according to the Australian Electoral Commission, the deadline for enrolment is 8pm seven days from the issuing of writs. So get on to it. Every vote counts in this upcoming federal election. Marcus Paul in the morning. Look, I reckon if Ash Barty is nominated as the next Australian of the Year, she'll win hands down. Uh, maybe she can, you know, take over from where Dylan Alcott might lead off. I say this because, again, an announcement made by her over the weekend uh, really points to the kind of person she is, always seemingly giving back. She's announced her next chapter um, or her next career move, and it's something that pretty much every nobody saw coming. The Aussie superstar has revealed she has turned her attention to producing a series of children's books as her first project following her retirement announcement last month, and wasn't that a shock? Despite her decision to step away from tennis for good, Barty has a huge 2022 ahead of her. Last month, she revealed that she was hoping to get married, of course, to a long-time partner, Gary Kissick, sometime this year, and that'll be wonderful. She's also been linked with potential interest in returning to professional sport, perhaps as a golfer, maybe even as a cricketer, or even in the AFLW. So that's the, uh, the women's AFL. She's only 25, you know. <laughs> and she won her first title since retiring for tennis at a local golf tournament in Brisbane last week. <laughs> I think she picked up a cheque for 30 bucks. Meanwhile, she's worth some 30 million. Anyway, it's why her new career as an author has surprised most people, despite Barty previously declaring an interest in a book series project. Anyway, the Courier Mail first reported Barty's series will be titled, quote, Little Ash, and will be based on three-time Grand Slam champions' real life, uh, her real-life experiences on and off the tennis court. The six-book Little Ash series, written and illustrated with First Nations creatives, Jasmine uh, McGoffey and Jay Goodwin will be available for purchase in July. The book is already being promoted by the publisher HarperCollins, and why wouldn't they? It's the day of the tennis tournament, Nash is <laughs> so excited to compete. A blurb on the publisher's website reads, but Ash forgets her favourite hat. There's a flat tyre and Ash wonders how they will ever get there. Will Ash arrive in time for her big match? <laughs> Uh, it sounds fun, and I think kids will love it. Barty also plans to write a memoir of her career later this year. Well, I, I always thought something like that would turn up. The reigning Australian Open champion said she was inspired to get into book writing by her niece. Uh, her niece's name is Lucy, and she's only five. She said, The project has been so much fun and something I've always wanted to do. Lucy was my North Star. She is the perfect age to understand stories and storylines and read chapter books. Being able to read it to her will be great. And to go up to reading uh, to kids in rural areas is something that I want to be really hands-on with. That's what I meant by always giving back. Of course, Barty was the long-standing world number one and claimed her third Grand Slam title at the Australian Open in January but said she had achieved all of her goals in tennis and the time was right to chase some other dreams. Six years ago, the Queenslander took an indefinite break from the sport and, of course, signed with the Brisbane Heat for the inaugural season of the Women's Big Bash League. But the tennis star became engaged to Kissick late last year with the loved-up couple sharing heartwarming photos on social media to announce the happy news. Barty later revealed the engagement was very low-key and she said in February her wedding will be just the same and she wouldn't have it any other way. And also, of course, she said, hopefully, it'll be this year. It'll be low-key, very small, pretty chill for Gary and I, just the people we love, the most uh, people who have been impactful and important in our lives. Uh, she also said that her nieces and her nephews will be front and centre. Uh, she wouldn't live it down if they weren't. I'll be... <laughs> dress shopping before I will. 
All right, well, her and Gary, of course, met at uh, the Brookwater Golf Club in Brisbane back in 2016, where Kissick, who's an aspiring professional golfer, works as an irrigation technician. The sporting duo immediately clicked and went public with their relationship in 2017 when they attended the John Newcomb Awards together. And of course, we wish them all the very happiness in the world. And of course, I look forward to reading the Little Ash series, which apparently will be out in July. Published by Harper Collins. Good on Ash Barty. Club 15. Quiet, please. Sorry, Ash, a lot of bogans here today. Score remains, love 15. Keep it down, please. I can hear someone's nostril whistling. Whoever's scratching his plums, you're ruining it for everyone. Score remains at love 15. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, well, that's it for today's program. I hope you enjoyed it. It was a little... um, I guess politics heavy being, of course, that we are now six weeks away or 41 days away from the May 21st election. How do you think it's going to go? Who are you liking so far? Will Scott Morrison continue as Prime Minister and become, well, uh, I guess one of the only Prime Ministers to last and continue and win another term in office? Or will Anthony Albanese and Labor steal office. When I say steal office, it's something I think that Albo, a career politician, has been working his entire life for. And, of course, he did do uh, amazing things when he was a minister in the Rudd-Gillard-Rudd government in a minority, particularly with Gillard. Anyway... Uh, There'll be much to talk about, much to dissect as the campaign proper gets underway from this morning after being announced yesterday by the Prime Minister. Uh, Stay tuned to the Facebook page. We'll be updating you on all the latest news as the campaign continues in earnest. All right, and of course, uh, just four days this week, we'll have Friday off being Good Friday. If you would like to send me a message, marcus.paul at starterfm.com.au. And as always, you can comment on the Facebook page on any of the stories, videos and content that we paste there. Uh, Post, that is. All right, well, that's it today. Hope you had a wonderful morning. We will catch up with you again. Same time, same place, 7am, 9am starterfm.com.au and of course on the iHeart and TuneIn radio apps and on the Prawncast podcast which will be up online a little later today. Have a good one, stay safe, enjoy the sun while it lasts. Marcus Paul in the morning, bye for now.